Welcome to today's episode of A Fighter's Story. Do you really think I was going to open up with that? I don't really know if anybody is continuing to listen after that. But I had to hit it because I can do it. It's just a little button. Just kind of bam. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, we're never going to do that again. That's just going to be strange trash. So today's episode is with Phil Dunlap. Phil has gone through some medical issues that's kept him off the mats, was told he was never going to be able to train again, came back and kind of took over everything. Um, on top of that, this dude owns a school, his nickname's The White Rhino, so it should kind of give you a insight into who this dude is. Uh, he's been fighting his entire life all over the world. He's been everywhere. Uh, we touch on so many different subjects, it's really hard to just kind of like dial in on what exactly we talked about. Because a lot of it had to do with just his life and how he made it through everything. Um, going from one side of the globe to another. How he overcame uh, this huge surgery that was putting him out. And on top of that, we talk about real shit. You know, like real life things. So please stick around. I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, you check Phil out online at phil.dunlap. Uh, hit up his website, LexingtonBJJ.com, and uh, stay tuned for the episode of Phil Dunlap. All right. Yeah, so that's it. I just hit a green button, um, kind of hit record, and then we're golden. So uh, for the my listeners that don't know who you are, kind of spoke about you a little bit on the intro. This is Phil Dunlap. Uh, Phil is pretty much all over the board, comeback story, um, and I'm going to let you kind of like come in, tell a little bit about your story and tell my listeners kind of who you are, where you came from and what you do a little bit, then just kind of shoot from the hip and go from there. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, basic, basically, you know, I'm a lifelong martial artist. I, I grew up in a family where my uh, grandfather was an acupuncturist and he trained in the Burmese martial arts. My grandmother was Burmese. So I actually trained in uh, Lethway, uh, which is Burmese boxing, which is starting to become more and more popular now. It's bare knuckle kickboxing. The only rules are no eye gouging and no biting. Okay, so any takedown is legal. It, 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 you know, it, it, it's a very, it's a very raw type of fighting. Violent. And, uh, <laughs> was that? It's very violent. Yes, it's like it's almost as violent as Krav Maga. <laughs> but, but like I always try to tell people, it's not as violent as you think. Once you get good technique, you know, it's more, it, it's more strategic than people realize. It looks violent because guys are caught, guys are getting banged, getting knocked out. But it's kind of like, it's, it, you know, within every context, whether it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu, boxing, kickboxing, there's a lot of technique that goes on that like the person who's not truly educated and it just doesn't see. And it's like, why does Mayweather not get hit? Okay, yeah. His defense is impeccable. And it's the little things he does that the average person just sees people missing. They don't realize it's a little shoulder roll, a little twitch, a little back step. Okay, there's a lot of things that go on in fighting that, like you know, the person who hasn't hasn't actually trained, hasn't hasn't really been on the fire, just doesn't even pick up on. And, and honestly, that's one of the reasons I love the combat sports. But I also trained in Burmese grappling style called the bond. Uh, 
which uh, is similar to old school Pancrase, you know, from back in the early days of mixed martial arts. Okay. The Pancrase organization had, uh, you were allowed to open hand strike on the ground. And in the bond, once you get the takedown, you can open hand strike on the ground. Okay, so it's a little, it's probably very similar to Eddie Bravo's combat jujitsu. I was just going to ask you about that. If it was similar to that, I know watching the that only, stuff. The only hand. difference is I have to break. It, it's a weird thing. When you throw your hand, you have to break the plane of your shoulder. In other words, I can't, let's say I can't do a Wing Chun straight blast with the palm of my hand. Oh, I have okay. to turn the corner. So you can't jab or anything. like Right, right. So like yeah. if, I, if I'm mounted on you, I can't sit up and rain down straight shots. I have so you to can't do the boss rooting. <laughs> yes, yeah. He, he's actually one of my favorite fighters, and I, I've met him a couple times. He, he's, he's such a cool dude. Yeah, I've never met him, but that dude's insane. I, I remember, like, when I was younger watching his fights and thinking, you know, the fists, and then out of nowhere, he just blows people up with this. And well, his aggression is ridiculous. In a street fight, I would use my open hands. Really? I, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. I'm just you've also well, I'm a I'm a big one on I like the clinch. Okay. Muay Thai. So I'll, I'll do palm strike into a clinch into a headbutt. My, my nickname in Burmese boxing was White Rhino. I had 28 knockouts by headbutt. So <laughs> I'm one of those guys, headbutt all the time. Man, then just picture just picture this. White kid goes overseas. And okay, I can use any part of my body as a weapon. Right. So what do I do? Hey, I'll use my head. What can go wrong? And I have CTE now. It's why I can't. I, it's why I don't compete in striking anymore. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you pay a price. There's a price to be paid for everything you do. Yeah. But uh, back to the background, I also yeah. did something called Thine, which is the, the overall Burmese martial art, and Banshee was just uh, the weapon systems. And uh, at 15, I actually had my first professional fight. I ended up fighting. I fought in Burma, Thailand, Laos. Cambodia, China, Japan, and the United States. Fortunately, it took me all over the world, and you know, it, it let me live a life that that was just crazy, especially especially the time in Burma. How old were you when you were traveling? I know you started your first fight. My, my first, first fight was fight 15, fifteen, but I was traveling on and off from fifteen to twenty-six. So, your how many amateur fights did you have, or did you just jump None. straight? Jump straight I went pro. pro. Damn. There was no, there was no, there was no amateur over there. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes okay, sense. they have five-year-old kids fighting pro. <laughs> yeah, well, Lethway, I there was a, a thing on Netflix, uh, Fight World. Yes, and, fight, yeah. And I, I watched that, and they, they kind of do that training. They show you how to headbutt, and it almost looks like a giraffe. Like you whip your neck to kind of... Well, I've always been a big one. I was taught to tuck my chin. Okay. And launch with my legs. Okay. Yeah, it, okay. it sounds weird to hear. <laughs> Just to, to hear the technique on how to headbutt somebody. You, on, honestly, I, I, I could do an eight-hour seminar on oh, headbutts alone. Really? That's my favorite technique. I find it's probably the single most dynamic technique in fighting. It can change, it can change how you close range. Yeah. In other words, I parry a jab and I follow it in with my head. My head's right in your face right away. Well, when you start on to the think ground, of yeah, on, guess, on the ground, the guard falls apart with headbutts. Yeah, it, I guess it makes sense when you start to think of your whole body as a weapon and not just look, like your look, eight limbs. Look how guys like Coleman and Kerr suffered in mixed martial arts when they removed the headbutts. 
Oh yeah, Coleman's you actually coming those, on here pretty soon. First of all, they're they're like they're, it's like wrestling with a gorilla. Yeah, they grab your shoulders and they start slamming you with your face, the head in the face. It's really hard to stop. Yeah, I always said the the elimination of headbutts really hurt wrestlers on the ground against jujitsu guys. This is just a really weird subject about headbutts. I don't. I, headbutts to me are something completely new that I never even thought about being in like the sport until maybe a few months ago. Well, um, it, it, it's it's honestly it's kind of funny. Like I always tell people, rules. You know, in other words, we get we we come up with combat sports. Okay, whether the combat sport is uh, no gi grappling, mm-hmm. uh, BJJ. Okay, and uh, or, or Thai boxing. Thai boxing in the United States and Thai boxing in Thailand is very different. Right, yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like, you know, especially the use of the clinch. Okay, the, the Thais are much better with their knees and their elbows. Yes. Okay, because you, that's where they live. And, and half the fights you get in the United States as an amateur, you can't use your elbows, you can't use your knees. You're wearing shin pads. It looks like a kickboxing uh, match, and then when you get in the clinch, it's... It almost looks like they're just stair stepping, kind of. Right, and it's yeah. almost like you're allowed. You're allowed like three seconds in the clinch. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, you know, it, it's you know, there, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing anything here. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it is what it is. Like I, I think the Thai boxing with chin pads and all of that stuff is great for a guy first going out and getting his feet wet. Yeah. It's like mixed martial arts. In other words, guy goes out. I'd rather see a guy take a couple of kickboxing matches, a couple of grappling matches before he takes a mixed martial arts fight. Because who wants to find out that you don't like to do it with somebody sitting on your chest punching you in the face? Yeah, you're two minutes in and you want to quit. <laughs> you can't, yeah, like, you're like, on the ride. <laughs> well, well, first of all, people, you know, people never understand that green mile. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, I've had so many guys that were great in the gym. That it took them five or six fights to actualize it in the cage or the rim. Yeah. Okay, because of the stress, it's artificial. You and I, you step to me in the street. I gotta do something. I either gotta run or I gotta fight. Mm -hmm. Okay, but with a fight, we're making an appointment for Saturday, uh, May 16th at eight o'clock at night. I'm going to meet you in the cage and we're gonna fight it's artificial yeah it's even more artificial than the old let's fight at three o'clock after school if i was that pissed off i'd hit you now yeah yeah exactly so it's kind of like it's one of these things that you you know they come up with a rule set and then all we do is we start to adapt ourselves to the rule set. Like, you know, when I, I try to teach kickboxing from a, from a, and mixed martial arts from a left way to bond standpoint. And then when you're getting ready for your fight, I start to pull out techniques that aren't appropriate. Okay. Okay. Like I'm a leg lock guy. Right. Yeah. Okay. But when I do a BJJ tournament in the game, there's no twisting leg locks. Now, when I was younger, I was an idiot. And in other words, I was all about, like, you know, in other words, when we're young, we're about ego. You know, like, I, I always joke around. The one thing I, I would love to tell young fighters coming up, stop trying to be something. Like, you know, when you're, when you're young, you're, you're 21, 22, you want to be the baddest man on the planet. You know, fuck this guy up. Yeah, all stupid shit. And it's not real. 
Yeah. Okay. And as you get older, you start to realize it's the process. Dude, you, you know, these kids like out in Vegas, it was so cool. Kid has a debut fight. And he's fighting in a first class casino in Las Vegas. And I always try to tell him, dude, enjoy that walk. Yeah, I've you're doing that. something most people will never ever experience. Oh yeah, I got. I have some fighters that their first fight is walking out. It's a what, like a gym, you know, pretty much. Yes, with like, like maybe I, a DJ over in the corner. Well, you know, I just got. I just got. I just got. Uh, I just moved to Virginia and I helped the guy get ready for his first fight. Yeah, and it was like in an old rec center. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. This is back. This is back in the early '90s in New Jersey. You know, high school gyms and rec centers. Right. But between you and I, I'll be honest with you, it's pure. It doesn't matter whether you're fighting in a casino or a rec center; you're still fighting. Yeah. Okay. All the things that you're going to go through, the nerves and everything like that, are still going to hit you. Okay. It's why, like I always say, you know, I respect people. I respect anybody who gets in the ring for having the courage to get in the ring. Yeah, there's a there's a but big... I have to add a caveat to that. Yeah, I don't totally respect them unless they're doing it right. Oh, okay. a guy, a guy who just you know, in other words, we've all seen it. A guy takes a fight, hops in the cage, and has no business being in there. Yeah, I give him credit for being brave and stupid. <laughs> there's a fine you know, line there, <laughs> right? In other words, like you know, it's kind of like remember, this is the hurt game. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay you, you know you're climbing in first of all if you're not ready you're not doing yourself any good you're not doing your opponent any good yeah you know yeah everybody wants a knockout but if you if you can't fight you're not helping him get better yeah there's there's a big correlation that i found so i started uh like officially training martial arts right after my uh my clinical trial accident so probably nine ten months ago okay um, and uh it it was so I was sitting there watching the the Pedago guys on YouTube, um, yeah. you know, like just basically like I, I'm gonna kill myself or do something like I, I gotta fix this. And I saw the jujitsu guys coming on, and I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. I have to actually fight, you know. Like I've been in probably uh, over a hundred fights in the street, you know, like just a horrible childhood. Fighting is it's a sport for me, you know. Like okay, there's nothing. I like there's nothing that somebody else is going to do that's going to like that that's going to you know hurt me more than my physical body so well, yeah, like, it was i always, I, I yeah, always try to tell people uh like people always ask me like i have 119 professional fights mm -hmm. and like hell since i'm since i turned 53 i've got over 250 grappling matches okay so it's kind of like people always ask me how many real fights have you had yeah okay now i had a checkered past when i was younger i grew up in the bronx Okay. Uh, my father was in the Westies. Uh, my grandfather was a hard man. He was the one who trained me. Uh, violence was a commodity. Yeah. Okay. At, at one point, I sold drugs. I was a complete idiot. Okay. I always said I never had a real street fight. I probably had a couple hundred ass whoopings. <laughs> yeah. The problem was that people couldn't fight. Yeah. How many times in a bar do some guys, you know, he finds out you're a professional fighter, he steps to you. You walk out in the parking lot, you hit him, and he curls up on the ball screaming, don't hit me, don't hurt me. You know, it's not this vaunted street fighter. I never met him. 
Yeah. Now I will tell you on the, on the opposite end, I've been shot once. I've been stabbed and slashed a number of times. People have tried to run over me with cars, hit me with baseball bats. I used to collect money. Okay. Okay. I was somebody that attracted violence. Yeah. I embraced it. Okay. And I, I, I got to be honest with you. I much preferred in the rain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Elsewhere is stupid. You know, it was yeah. like, you know, I'm going to get into an argument in the parking lot, get into a fight with some guy that can't fight. I'd rather go to class. At least I pre- I'm training those guys. I know they can fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, but having that martial arts, the, just having that, how do I want to say this? Um, discipline that, you know, the martial arts gives you that transfers over into life a lot like to be able to make those decisions of whether or not you want to get into that fight or not get into that fight or what you have to do and you're very calm when you do get into those positions it and it transfers over a lot into like life decisions um you know like for me actually choosing to to live and do something about it you the same thing you know like kind of want to get into your uh, your car accident how you went from you know this pro fighter into this huge accident where you can't do anything okay you have a you have a pretty big layoff um so all like with all the fights and everything that's got to be a bigger fight than walking to the ring you know sitting there hearing a doctor say you're not walking or you know whatever no how many times i thought of killing myself yeah okay you know it was one of those things okay to make a long story short uh I, I actually, around 25 years old, I got a really good business opportunity. I'd met some people that were kind of wired into the government and they got me into government contracting. Okay. So I, I'm making a good living government contracting. I'm making great money fighting. And I, I, I and it's so funny. The reason I'm going to mention the car is because of what I do immediately after the accident. Okay. I decide, oh, I want a Porsche. So I run out and get myself a 944. Oh, okay. What year? Okay. I'm coming home one day. Guy pulls out of a side street without even looking. He's got a stop sign and everything. I T-bone him. I go up, and I don't know if you know, but seatbelts don't engage upward. What do you mean by that? Doctor, Doctor said my training helped me recover from the broken neck, but my arm and shoulder strength actually may have been what caused it. I locked my arms out, okay? So when I hit the other car, my arms held me in place and I went up. My head hit the sunroof and snapped back and the sunroof went flying across the road. I remember being able to see the other driver with my head above the car before the seatbelt grabbed me. It was the weirdest thing and it was in slow motion. And it was kind of funny because I worked out in a gym that was right around the corner and the cop, there was a cop, two cars behind me. He actually knew me from the gym. So he gets out and he has me sit down on the hood of his car. Now he's asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? And I guess I kept getting up and heading for my sunroof. Got to get my sunroof. Got to get, now my car's totaled. Okay, got to get my sunroof. Got to get my sunroof. And all of a sudden I looked at him. He said, I looked at him and I said, places to go, people to see. So he lays me down in the back of the car. And that's the last thing I remember. I wake up at the hospital. I had broken the atlas, which is the top, top vertebrae in my neck. And most people that break that, they call it a hangman's break. They usually die. 
I was in Halo for six months, rehab, the whole ball of wax. And when I say it was about a year before I was able to like go to a gym and start lifting lightly, mm-hmm. start doing cardio again. And it, it's kind of funny because that, now my grandfather was still alive at the time. He was an acupuncturist. He was a Chinese trained acupuncturist and bone setter. Okay, now the funny thing is, you know, a doctor wants to do surgery. He wants to fuse, basically fuse my skull to my neck. Okay, in which case, like, I wouldn't be able to look up and down or side to side without bending my waist. So I said, I tell him, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to get, I'm going for ART, which is active release technique. I knew somebody that did it. Okay. Uh, Bone setting and acupuncture and chiropractic. He looks at me now. Now remember, at this time, this this is back in the in the nineties. Well, you're doing chiropractic after you break your neck. After it healed. Uh, yeah, it's, my buddy got in a car accident. He's had some neck issues, and he's super weird about going to a chiropractor just because of the break. You know, he cannot do it. I have to see people. I have to see the chiropractor adjust other people first. Oh, uh, okay. So you kind of like I don't want one of those guys that's going to wrench me around. Yeah. Oh, and my body, it takes a while to get my neck, neck to relax and get it to move. But sometimes there's a, there's a little piece broken off. And sometimes that hooks the nerves. And like my left eye starts to drop. And I get real bad headaches. So I have to go to the chiropractor. Okay. That's crazy. But it, it's one of those things that, you know, I got such a kick out of the doctor. Oh, they'll hurt you. And I'm like, first of all, you're talking about you might cut nerves in my neck. Second of all, you're telling me I'm going to have to bend at the waist and turn it aside and never do anything physical again. I think I'll, I'll, I'll roll the dice. I can always go for the surgery. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of, of, of Western medicine to begin with. And, you know, this, this was for me a glaring example because I spent the next couple of years just strengthening my body again, started training again, and then I decided I was going to start teaching when my grandfather died when I was 29. So from 29 to about 36, I was teaching, and then the UFC was at, you know, things things were starting to heat up in mixed martial arts. What year is this? I wanted to fight. What year is this? This was back in the, uh, my, my first fight back, I think, was 97. Oh, okay. So this was, like, right around the Tito Ortiz days when he was starting to get big and Chuck Liddell, Ken Shamrock, all those guys. I was told at the time... My uh, fight against Juan Mott in Atlanta was the the last sanctioned bare knuckle match before the ones that are starting now. Really? Yeah, I, I prefer no gloves anyway. Did you but did you have anything just wraps or what exactly? In Burmese boxing, you wrap. Okay, yeah. Well, because I know what is it? Lethway they use rope. Oh uh, no no no! That's uh, Muay Boran. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it, that it, shit's it's, crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it's actually between you and I, the wraps are worse. Really? Yeah. The ropes do a little bit of cushioning. I never would have thought that. I thought the rope was just going to be like, you know, these little iron. I don't even know. No, no. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Compared to gloves, the ropes are hell. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're honestly not that bad. I had five fights. I had five rope fights. And when I got hit, I was actually surprised it wasn't worse. Damn. So when you're, so I want to kind of like go back just a little bit. 
you so during this period you have a year uh it's where you're you are kind of like recovering um myself included um and then a couple other people i know that have had to take like a significant time off of training i was doing a i was into bodybuilding and i wanted to be as big as possible you know thinking that like if i looked like i could fight people would leave me the fuck alone realistically it just made it so it was harder for me to start fighting because now my size i come in i can't can't move yeah like i have to i'm trying to lose muscle as we speak because i cannot get chokes my forearms are way too big i can't my choke i would would take creatine because i can't stand that pump yeah that oh god yeah you're trying to to do it you're trying to do a guillotine on somebody and your bicep is so freaking pumped that you can't choke them i I don't want that yeah no exactly so how do you go from like you're you're going through this period to where like depressing as shit how do you get through that and not only that but uh for myself i know like i'll look in the mirror and i judge myself based off of what i look like and how much money i have in the bank and i feel like that's a that's pretty common across all of us that like to like to fight how do you lose size my middle muscle everything should be ocd i am i live by oh it's good it can okay. decide. yeah i live by compulsion oh yeah there is no halfway with me. So once I made up my mind, I was going to get healthy again. It kind of became a sole focus of who I was. Do you drink by any chance? Not anymore. Oh, okay, yeah, because like the way that you're talking, the the compulsion thing, that it, it just you know and okay, and, I have fought on yeah. a mixture. I have fought on a mixture of speed and heroin. Okay. Okay, I drank like a fish for years. For some reason, alcohol and drugs didn't affect me like they do other people. Like when I would get drunk, you really wouldn't know unless I went to sleep and you woke me up. Yeah. No, like yeah. somebody actually said, I can play basketball and drink vodka. And there's no fade in my ability. Yeah. No, I believe you. That's kind of how I was. I'm, but if I, if, I, if I lay down and you wake me up, it's almost like I'm hallucinating. <laughs> Yeah, I. What is that <clears throat> about? I, like people that that want to fight, and it, it you can't come into a gym. You know, I've, we've all seen it. That that white belt that walks in. You know, you get your first free day, and then or you sign that waiver, and you you paid your first month. You see them once or twice, and then they never show back up again. You know, like but the people that stick around, you want to know what's wrong with them because there's a reason why we keep coming back. In genuine, generally, there is that like uh, that addiction. That there's OCD a lot. To it. There's a lot of compulsive people mm-hmm. in our uh, combat sports. Okay, uh, you know, it, 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 yeah, and it's so funny because I get a kick out of it. The guy who tells you I want to be a fighter comes in. You see him three times. He gets hit. You never see him again. Mm-hmm. The guy who tells you he's afraid of fighting. Turns out to have a heart of the lion. Yeah. You punch him in the face, he wants to take your head off. Okay, so it's it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times it's just what's inside you. Some people can't stand not being good at something they want to do. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, I, it's become I, an addiction. It's Well, I'm one of those people, you know, I, I play chess with my son until I got to the point where I could beat him. I stopped playing chess. You just put it down. Yeah, never really liked it. Yeah, just hated to suck at it. 
See, every once wondering. in a while we play now, but now that I'm now that I'm a good match, he doesn't like playing with me anymore. All right. So you're going through this this period. Do you ever go through like a therapy or oh, anything dude, dude, like that? Okay. I mean, besides let, let me, physical let me, therapy, I mean, let me go all this physical therapy, but let me get into medical therapy. Okay. I mean, the uh, psychological therapy. Yes, I went for help. Okay, but there's a caveat with that. Okay, uh, I come from, from a family. My grandmother, the Burmese one, was institutionalized most of my life. Okay. Okay. My mother, uh, schizophrenic. Okay. My mother was schizophrenic. Okay. okay. Uh, my dad was in and out of jail. Okay. Did not have a good upbringing. And it got to the point where when I decided, I, I shouldn't say, I decided to give up drugs and alcohol. I gave up drugs first. Mm-hmm. Then after watching my dad die of cirrhosis of the liver, I did not want to end up like him. So I kept trying to give up alcohol. It was the white knuckle syndrome. Yeah. Like, you know, it's kind of like, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm going to quit Monday. Yeah. Every, every okay. night is the last night. Yeah. And then, and then Monday night I'm sitting upstairs and I can hear the vodka bottle downstairs saying, Phil, I love you. Okay. You know, it, it's kind of, come on. If you, if you, if you have an addiction, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. 100%. You can't get it out of your damn head. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. And, and it's kind of like, you know, what happened to me is I got help. And it's kind of like they put me on a, 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 a I got some, I, I've been diagnosed with a number of things throughout my life. Hell, I was diagnosed as a sociopath when I was in eighth grade. <laughs> Jesus. All right. yeah, because, because I answered some questions wrong. No, what, yeah. happened, what happened is an older kid beat up my younger brother. So I beat him up and I put his head on the curb and started jumping up and down on it. Okay. And it got to be one of these things where he was hospitalized. They took me to court. I went to a court-appointed psychiatrist. Of course, he asked, why'd you do it? He made me mad. So if I make you mad, would the same type of thing happen to me? Yeah. Because at that age, it wasn't my fault what happened to you. If you made me mad, you you know how kids think. Yeah. And and it's kind of like, wrong answer. I was authorizing for a while. How old were you when this happened? I was in eighth grade. Okay, yeah, yeah. Somewhere between eighth grade and high school. Yeah, it's when you're that young, you don't know what the hell's going on in life. You don't, you don't yeah, understand yeah. what consequences are. You, yeah, it's like it's sad then, that all these shootings are going on. Yes, because they don't know what they're doing. I, and and it's very weird to hear the way that people talk about uh, combat sports as it being violent and everything. When it's very hard to walk into a gym. I granted every gym at least once a week you know somebody there's a flare-up but yes, for, the yes. mo- for the most part you know like there's kids coming in and out like it's a we're very big, very respectful family environment we're we're big boys who play a rough game yeah yes. okay so every once in a while egos are going to get a little tweaked a little bruised stuff happens okay but 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 that's understandable that happens in anything it happens on your football team your soccer team in the locker room guys busting jim's chops one guy goes too far you know it, it, it's a natural thing especially in a male environment yeah males have a tendency to bust each other unmercifully. oh yeah okay somebody gets a little tweaked and it gets weird yeah it, the good thing about combat sports is it gets sorted out real quick 
Yeah, there's something about punching somebody else in the face that makes you best friends afterwards. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, you know, between you and I, I got so many guys around the country that I competed against that I'm real good friends with. Yeah. Like, you know, guys have asked me, like, you know, I'll do a tournament in California. The next time I'm doing a tournament in California, I'll get a call. You want to stay at my house? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of, especially when you start to get a little bit older. Like, you know, I still do the adult divisions where you get like the, the 25 year old, but I also do some of the master's divisions. And one of the nice things about the master's division is there's a certain camaraderie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like every 25 year old guy who's grabbing thinks he's going to be a UFC superstar <laughs> or the next Gordon Wright. Okay. When you're 50, you know, I'm cooked. Yeah. I'm playing out the string having fun. I'm yeah. doing it because I can. But it, it's it's kind of like, you know, what, what really what really made me focus on getting better is I just didn't have a choice. I was either going to get healthy and train or I was going to kill myself. How do you start that? Like, I obviously like, it's got to be a decision, you know, to start. But I mean, like that, that first action. It was way... From- for me going back, I, uh, I had to start just with like walking around the block and then weights, you know, very light. And then first jujitsu class, everything hurts. Walking, walking, <laughs> allisthenics. Okay. And you just work gradually work your way up. Okay. But originally it's walking half a mile and you're out of breath. Mm-hmm. And you're so frustrated. It was ridiculous. Then suddenly you're walking a couple miles. Then you start to jog. Then you start to do push-ups and 15 push-ups is killing you. Then suddenly you're at 50. Then you go into the gym and you start to lift. And I was not a big lifter before the accident and lifting really helped me get through it. Mm -hmm. The bulletproofing, the added size really stabilized a lot of stuff. Yeah, you gotta, there's something about lifting that it, it's you against yourself and you, it builds up a callus, like a physical callus that allows you to, to take some hits, but also. But I, I'm, I'm also a little bit different in that I grew up, if I wanted to train, I had to kick a wooden post in the backyard for 15 minutes with each leg. Okay. <laughs> to condition my shins. Okay. Yeah. Now from when I was a little kid. Okay. And it Does was that work, by the way, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like I've Ask anybody it. I have ever kicked. I, yeah, but does the the deadening of your leg? I don't care about their leg. My, you still feel it. I know you got to still feel it. But uh, does it? Dude, go you can down kick me in the thigh. I don't feel it. Really? I don't hold pads. My students will tell you I let them kick me in the legs. I don't just, feel it anymore. Just full out. I let guys back in the back room at fights, watching my guys warm up, thinking my guys kicked like little girls. Because I'm standing there screaming at him. Don't kick me like I'm your grandmother. Kick me. Jesus, man. Okay. And Built the thing is, concrete. <laughs> I, have had, I have had x-rays of my shins. The, doc, the doctors didn't understand why the white area of my shin was so thick. It's the calcium deposits. Yeah. Okay. But you, do, you, know, in other words, you don't want to just get in the nerves. You want to condition the bone. Okay, because that's why you get a lot of people breaking their legs, throwing shin kicks. They haven't done the work that builds up to it. Was uh, the the most recent one that I'm thinking of is the Connor kick. 
you know, to where, but I was thinking that was most to, mostly his ankle. He's a, he's yeah, a, that was a, that was a weird one because it yeah. wasn't really a roundhouse kick. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was a weird one. Um, yeah. So you just, you, you essentially just start walking and you build yourself up. You build up this callus. But now for me, it was, it was, it was, it was falling back on old habits. Good, good old habits. You're saying? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, In other words, like I wake up, I do this. I woke up, I did this. I went to school, came home, did this. Then we trained. Yeah. Okay. So it was just that whole, uh, I'll go for a walk. I'll work. I'll do calisthenics. And then once I got my body built up, I started to teach people. Do you feel like you got better once you started teaching? And did you, Much. did your I was, experience okay. help you? Like the, you, like the, you do jujitsu, right? Yes. Yeah. No. Game. Okay. Now I am a striker through and through. Okay. Okay. Yes. I'm a black belt in jujitsu. I've won the SJJF world champs. I've won the IBJJF national championships like seven times. Okay. But I'm a striker. You, I'm not grappling with you in a fight unless you take me down. Okay. Now that said, back when I was in my 20s, my back kicked the mat. I immediately sat up on one elbow, went for a Kimura. If I didn't get the Kimura, I scrambled to my feet. I wanted no, I did not want to be on my back. I actually had a decent guard, but I didn't want to be there. As I started teaching, now I have to show people stuff. So now I have to sit in my guard, let them pass, let them do this. So it really made me get better at things that I never wanted to get better at. Right. Yeah. Do you understand what I mean? In other yeah, words, it I almost kind of puts you in that to, white belt again. Like I never to, wanted to throw up straight arm bars from the guard because I never wanted to be there. I always wanted to sit up for, I, I say jujitsu, funnels down to three basic things from the guard. You're either sitting up in a cross on your elbow, like for a, uh, for a Kimura or a guillotine, mm-hmm. throwing up your legs and climbing, like for a straight arm bar or a triangle, or elevating, like when you duck under for a sweep or a leg lock. Those are the three basic motions you're doing all the time from your guard. For me, it was very one-dimensional, sitting up at a cross, because it gave me the opportunity. In, in the guard, you have two choices. You can either try to pass or hold me down. Like, you know, once you're on your back, notice like a wrestler won't pass, but you have a hard time sometimes using your guard because he's holding your hips to the floor. A jujitsu guy is trying to pass, so it makes it easier to move your hips and set up submissions. Yeah. Okay, so I always tell people, when you start to analyze things for me, it was go for the Kimura, get back to your feet. Then suddenly, you know, I started to develop parts of my game that I was never very good at. Right. Yeah, do you... Trying to find this correlation. So while you're teaching and you're kind of forced to be uncomfortable, like being on your back and everything. There's a big correlation between the uncomfort of you breaking your neck and going through. And then now you are teaching. You Took have me about students three years own. into the teaching. The hardest part was teaching takedowns. Because I was having a real problem letting go and falling backwards. It almost bordered on paranoia. Really? Or when I went for a straight arm bar and somebody stacked, I would automatically let go. Yeah. 
But then it got to the point where I could do bridges and I got comfortable with my neck again. And then I just started ignoring it. You, you, so you don't have like any trouble now? Oh, no, no. I have, I have trouble with my neck. Okay. Yeah. Well, cause you have that, that broken part in the back, but I mean like while you're competing, is that like your neck is like never, it never really, honestly, it hurts me a lot in the morning at night. Doesn't hurt me when I'm doing things. Yeah. Okay, I should say, preface that with about working over my head. Like if I'm, if I'm screwing something into a ceiling socket. Right. I have a real problem with that. Oh, that's a shitty position to be in. <laughs> yeah, like if you, if you have me, if you have me uh, do some plumbing work under your sink, uh -huh. I'm going to be messed up today. Oh, it sucks. Yeah, that, yeah, that really sucks. You have to kind of adjust how you do things like... Yeah, it. Well, honestly, it was it was the same thing with the cancer. When I got the cancer, I had to take three years off. When was this? Uh, it was. I think I was diagnosed when I was forty-seven. All right, and what type again? Pancreatic. But wait, 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 wait. Let me, wait, wait, let me wait, preface wait. that with one thing. It was an odd form of pancreatic cancer. Okay, yeah. It, it came on because of a cellular defect in something called C diff. I was going to say, how are you here? Most people it's, think it's so, it's so weird. It's so weird. Um, I, I got C. diff really bad. My two front teeth aren't my own. I got implants put in and the dentist gave me uh, clindamycin, which is a heavy duty antibiotic. Okay. Yeah. It killed all the good bacteria in my stomach. And I got something called C. diff, which is a, uh, which is a really bad infection that settles in your stomach and intestinal tract. And if you ever had it, you'll know. Because the minute you go to the bathroom, you want out of that place. It smells like death. <laughs> like I'm, I'm talking like there's no mistake in it. Yeah. Okay. So, so what happens is they're having such a problem eradicating it that it's crazy. So finally they get done with it to get it out of my intestinal tract and it shows up in my bloodstream. Okay. And then what happens is it settles in my pancreas. And I get these cysts in my pancreas from the C. diff. They're like, you know, mucus producing cysts that swell yeah. and pop. Okay. A couple of them became malignant. Okay. But it's also originally they put me on regular chemo for pancreatic cancer, blah, 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 blah. They, they almost killed me. And then when we moved to Vegas, my wife found somebody who had a unique treatment for mutated forms of cancer. And he actually, you know, was, the treatments almost killed me. Mm -hmm. they but once they do. worked, I feel great now. The only problem is I, I have some issues with my ongoing issues with my pancreas, so much scarring, so much damage. But uh, you know, it, it got it got it got really bad. It got to the point where it was like 158 pounds. I couldn't get a deep breath because my pancreas was so swollen. And then what was funny is when I came back, it was so funny. My youngest son, I have two stepsons, I call them my sons. Okay, and he he trained and fought a little and wanted to fight again. So what happened is now we're in Vegas. I start looking for school for him to train because I'm figuring I'm done. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm right now I'm about 190 pound water balloon. I never really, I never fought heavier than 170. Okay, so now I'm walking around about 190, all puffy. I'm on prednisone, this, that. Yeah, you know, I'm like a cocktail of bullshit. Yeah. Okay, and so uh, 
So I figure I'm done. So I go by, I go by a couple schools and I get attitude from people. Like, you know, come on, listen, I'm a three-time world champion in Burmese boxing. I won a stadium championship in Thailand. I'm a good grappler. I'm going to be in charge of my kid's career. Okay, you can coach him, but I'm going to make the decisions. If that's not cool, we're not the place for you. Nobody's throwing my kid to the wolves. Nobody's playing games with my kid. Okay, so what happens is I finally find, find a school, I go by, I go by the first night, and uh, you know, the, guy, the guy's teaching BJJ, so I take the class. And then I start rolling with everybody. Now, now, now remember, you're a high-level player, so the stuff comes back. The problem was, like, you know, I, I was beating everybody, but it was like I would, I would submit somebody and let them start again from, like, side or something like that. Then it got to the point where I was sitting on people for, like, four or five minutes. Like, I'd get side. I'd sit there for four or five minutes before submitting them because I had to catch my breath again. Okay, what was so funny is the, the two different opinions of the training session. I'm sitting in my car crying. I can't believe how bad I am. Guy calls me up the next day and tells me, would you, would you be interested in teaching jujitsu classes here? Because I don't feel like I could teach jujitsu in front of you. Wow. So I end up, I end up teaching again. And I opened my own thing. I'm running a school in Vegas for free. Like, you know, I had a big RV garage. I turned it into a school. And I was teaching people for free. Because come on, listen, half the guys who want to fight. Okay, you just got out of high school. You just got out of college, whatever. Okay, you got a car payment. You're trying to get a place to live. You got a girlfriend. You don't have 200 bucks for a gym membership. Yeah. Okay. And between you and I, I make real money at my job. Okay. I'm really not interested in a couple grand a month for martial arts. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not going to impact my life. And one thing I really learned from the cancer experience, okay, because you're sitting in a parking lot, you're thinking, you're thinking, how to go home and tell everybody I'm going to die. Okay, and it's a real weird thing. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, like things come rushing in, and I realize the only thing we really have. Now, I like to think I evolved in my late twenties from being a complete scumbag to being a good person. Okay, but this really refined that because I realized there were only three things. Now, I've had the cars, I've had the houses, I've had the money, I've had nice stuff. Okay, what it all boils down to is you've got your family. You've got your memories and you've got the lives you impact. Other than that, you ain't got nothing. Nicest house in the world, they're sticking your body in a hole in the ground. Yeah, we all end up in the same spot. Right, rich, poor, you know, whatever, your corpse. Yeah. Okay, so when you really look at it, the only thing that lives on after you is the impact you've had on those around you. For sure, yeah. There's, when you, when you talk about the impact around you in, in martial arts is obviously a huge part of your life. And when you do martial arts, you, it forces you to grow your ego. Jiu-Jitsu is nothing short of an ego killer. Um, Jiu-Jitsu will destroy an ego overnight. Um, and then with communication and like building friendships with all these people, are you finding that martial arts is helping you in your relationships as you're, as you're getting older in, in your I, I always... I always tell people, okay, now, a lot of people, you, you, can, you can bring a horse to work. Mm -hmm. You can't make it drink. Now, I don't like to call myself a martial artist because, come on, even today, I'm your typical New Yorker. The stuff that comes out of my mouth, I swear to God, half my students look at me and say, did he just say that? 
Oh yeah, you sound like you're from New York. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm everybody like I've your, ever known from New York, you sound like you're from New York. I'm more like your high school gym teacher, and he lost his mind. Okay, in other words, I will say stuff that makes people cringe. Okay, and I can't help it. Like you know, you're, do, you're doing a mounted triangle on somebody in competition. I'll scream fuck his face. You'll you'll scream in his face? No, no, no. I had a guy doing a mounted triangle on somebody. Okay. Okay. Against a friend of mine who had a school. Right. All of a sudden, I scream at him. I'm telling him, throw your hips forward, do this, do that, do the other thing. Fuck his goddamn face. <laughs> he throws his hips forward. Guy taps, gets off the mat, and says, I can't believe you told him to fuck my face. I said, Did it work? No, I like it. I used to do, a, I would teach people how to deadlift. And I would, I would tell him it's just like fucking a chick from behind. You grab her ponytail and you got to pull your back Dude, at the same time your hips you come in. You never forget. Yeah, no. You, you and then you do it right. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of, I can tell you move your hips a little to the left, do this, do that. I tell you, just fuck it. Okay, yeah. you throw your hips forward. You know how to do that. Like I, I used to joke around back in New York. I can't believe I'm teaching 15-year-olds how to fuck. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's one of those things. I know you guys fucked anything that moved. You know, if your pillow sat around long enough, you're tapping. I'm just joking about that. <laughs> so how do you go from, like, from that guy, you know, the, the fuck your face type guy in a jiu-jitsu tournament to every coach that I've known so far has, I mean, you know, as a student of a coach, you go up to them and coaches, you start to learn your students' uh, individual personal lives and they come to you for more than just it's the, so, the sports coaching. It's so funny because I'm the exact opposite. Don't come to me for advice. I'm a complete fuck up. The more I say that, the more I seem to become a counselor. Oh, yeah. You're a bartender. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But, but, but the, the idea is, like, you know, how do I say this? You know, I always say a lot of people, they, they walk to the water, but they don't drink. They just mm -hmm. stare at it. Then those that come in, martial arts can give you, combat sports, whatever, can give you a fabric to live by. The lessons you learn on the mat, like hard work, you know, this, that, the other thing, sacrifice, okay, all of that goes on to give you the tools to make your life more successful. In other words, like even in a solo sport, like, you know, in other words, without my training partners, I'm nothing. I can be the best guy in the world. I got nobody to train with. I'm a sock. Yeah. Okay. So I always, I always try to tell people. Teamwork, everything, everything you need to start to build a successful life is com com combined in the endeavor. It's just most people have no interest in that, I've noticed. Yeah. yeah. But those that have it, I've become very, very close to. Listen, I've had students that were actually a couple of years older than me tell me I was the closest thing to a father they ever had. Yeah, no, I believe it. Yeah. You know, because it's kind of like you see guys at their rawest, okay? You come in every day, come on. First, first time somebody gets a very heavy chest position on you, you're tapping because you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. yeah. Six weeks later, you're not tap tapping because in your mind only a pussy taps because he can't breathe. Yeah. Okay, so in other words, I watch guys come in and test themselves every day. I watch them pa pass. I watch them fail. I help, them dust them, I help them dust themselves off when they fail. 
and we get them where they're going. And that builds a bond. Like, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize the bond of uh, like combat in the military because that's a whole nother level. Yes. But I've had a couple guys that were in the military who, who became cops who told me the reason they became a cop was because they missed the camaraderie from the military, mm -hmm. but they didn't find it in place, too much politics. Yeah. But they found it in a gym. You have a common goal getting better. Yeah. Well, it's also one thing that, that I love about you and your story is even though you're teaching, you also did what everybody my age wishes they did to where I feel like I'm at this age right now. So I'm 36 or 37. No, I'm 36. Yeah, I'm 36. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm 36. Um, and so I have a lot of people around me um, in this age bracket, I feel like that are, oh, I wish I did, or I want to, you know, or I should. And there is no action following that to where you actually took that action and, and you're doing it. So now there's other it's guys never, that are looking at you. It's you know. never too late to do the things you love. Okay. And I seem to be a big, uh, like, you know, I'm out on social media. I have a school. So like, you know, I, I, I promote things and I choose to promote, empower, you know, every once in a while I get caught up in nonsense, like anybody else. Yeah. Okay. In a shit throwing match. Okay. But it's kind of like, you know, I prefer to empower and motivate people. And one of the things I've become a real divining rod for guys, older guys that are a year or two into jujitsu deciding to compete they're 40 years old they look at me i'm about to turn 59 i'm doing pro shows oh if he can do that i can do it too yeah yeah you so i've i've only met one other guy from new york that reminds me of this dude um you remind me of john joseph uh he's from uh the cromags the iron man guy um it's it's you've got that brooklyn fuck your face i'm gonna do it anyway type thing he's, he's a I, right? I, I fucking i love it man oh dude that guy is amazing you know meat is for pussies is a great book we're friends um, on facebook we're very good friends on uh whatchamacallit instagram because yeah. i coached one of his good friends sons back in new jersey oh, okay yeah yeah i just i keep very hearing cool I, dude. I just keep hearing him every time you know, every time your accent pops out, it's, it's hilarious. It's just, it's funny to me to, to hear these conversations, but then to say, you know, like when it, when it's a one-on-one -on -one with you and your student and there's that parallel, you know, of like a, a life question, how do you go about that without doing the, you know, the New Yorker thing, you know, no offense I, to that at I all. Always, I always, I, I have a tendency to lead for what it's worth. Okay. Okay, if it was me, I would do this. Okay, I try not to interject myself in people's lives. I hate when coaches do that, when they buy into the whole guru thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not a guru, I'm a flawed human being just like everybody else. You come to me advice, I'm gonna tell you, remember, you know, it's kind of, I think violence can solve everything. So remember where the advice is coming from. Yeah. Okay, so it, it's kind of like I always try to tell people, in other words, if you're asking me, you obviously want my opinion. So I should give it to you. Yeah. There? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cannon, yeah, Cannon does this weird thing. But if he, uh, he, if you ask me, I'm going to give it to you. 
But if you don't ask, man, we'll keep my mouth shut. It's not my business. Yeah. Is that something that you've always had, like kind of like through your upbringing, or is that something that you've had to learn? I'm kind of, I've just always Always. curious as to like the lessons people actually pick up and hold on to because growing up, I didn't pick up anything until I've always been that really weird guy. I'm a loner. Okay. But I always have lots of friends. You want to explain that one, how that how that works out? Okay. Now, remember, I'm coaching, I'm teaching, I'm running around, I'm doing things. I make a lot of friends. Right. Okay. And, and, and how do you say it? How do I say this? Like, you know, and, and I'm not saying that I'm famous or I'm Hollywood or anything like that, but just like a Hollywood star. They look around, 90% of the people around them are with them because of who they are, not because of the person. No, that, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Okay, so a lot of, a lot of the people in, in your periphery are there for your image. Your image falters, they're gone. But I have a lot of good friends, but I'm not one of those guys that, you, if you, you're going to be my friend, you almost have to train. Yeah, I'm you, not going over your house for dinner. You seem like uh, I, so one of the traits that I have that my friends don't like I'm seeing this in you is I don't like to be comfortable. I like to try to be as uncomfortable as possible. So that way my comfort is just pushed just a little out of reach. So I keep striving and I I, do it to all my friends. They hate it. I'm much the same way with everything from work to life in general, even, even, even pain. Like, you know, I I need, I need knee reconstruction and shoulder replacement. I'm refusing to get them until I'm done. When I'm done competing, I'll get them. All right, all right, all right. When are you done? Because normally you're 59. Normally people are done 20 years ago. You know, but I can't. What does that look Somebody like? Somebody asked me why you do it. Yeah. Because I can. Yeah. What does it look like to, to not be able to, though? Because I can't, I don't know what that looks I'll like. I'll teach. I'll just set up to teach it. And, you know, part, part of it is, you know, I, I love this. I, I say this three components to to what I am in the martial arts. The first component, I love to train. Okay, I just want to train. Okay, I really enjoy teaching. I, I, it took me years to grow into being a teacher. When I was, when I first started, I sucked. Absolutely horrible. Three lessons, an injury, six weeks off. Okay, you know, yeah, you know, you're, you're trying to teach people stuff you take for granted. I can remember saying to my wife at the time, "Either I'm the worst teacher in the world, or these people are idiots." And she looks at me and she says, "How much time have you spent doing this?" Ooh, I don't know, my whole life, you know. So it's like I was expecting, I was expecting to show people techniques, have them master them in one session, and go open up schools. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. You know, because I forgot all the effort I put into it. Okay. And what happens is you grow as a teacher. And what I've really grown to love about teaching is teaching you and teaching somebody else will be completely different. I'm a, I'm a, I I always get this word wrong, kinesthetic. Okay. Yeah. If you do a move on me, I can watch a videotape and I'm kind of like, I can watch a class and I'm kind of like, you do a move on me, I have it. Okay. Yeah. But if I, you showed me a new move I'd never seen before and did it on me, I'd be able to do it on somebody in a minute. 
Other people are visual learners. Yeah. I, other people, I other people need to die. I've got people that keep copious notes. Yeah. I have to watch it and then close my eyes and almost like physically, you know, go through the motion and like just a little bit, just to kind of think about what it is and then actually do it. If but you that's just, what's, but that's, what's so cool about teaching is teaching you is completely different than teaching the other guy. And like, for the sake of argument, I had this one guy in Vegas. If I wasn't, if I wasn't telling him how shitty he was doing, I was mad at him. Yeah. He was just one of these guys. He was a character. He was always doing dumb shit. And I was always screaming at him. Yeah. I if I said, good job, he'd look at me like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Guys, okay, like, then you, I, guys like you should be, eh, fuck, it's... I've worked some shitty jobs. We all have, you know, retail and stuff like that. And yeah. And those managers need to be need to meet guys like you because it just seems like they take everybody as a whole, just one big glob of humanity. And it takes everybody. getting punched in the face to realize that there's individuals, everybody has their own story. Well, I, I do it, I do it with work too. In other words, everybody's highly individual. And, and between you and I, how do I phrase it? Uh my weakness is going for spreadsheets. I'm not a math guy. Mm-hmm. put me on the phone with clients they're mine you know it's it, it's just it's just that weird thing and like i'm the weirdest guy in the world i'll go to a business, business dinner and order six baked potatoes i'm a vegan i make no bones about it wait you're a but, vegan yeah the whole conversation i i i'm a lifelong vegan i used to eat uh, a fruit-based diet and i was really skinny then after the cancer, I started to eat a nut-based diet, and I blew up to, yeah. right now I'm about 215, but I've been as heavy as 230. I took a couple matches at super heavyweight, and I bulked up to 230. It was just too much muscle. Yeah. All right. So when you say nut-based, so now you struck, like, the, the dietetic part of me. That's, that is 100% my world. When you say nut-based diet... Are you eating just almonds, pistachios? Okay. Like, now, now, like, what do you remember? I don't suggest this for any other human being on earth. Yeah, I don't either. But it works <laughs> for me. Okay. Uh, I eat once a day. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I take my class, I teach my class, I come home, and then I gorge. What does that look okay. like? Okay. I come home. First thing I do is I have a protein drink made from rice hemp and pea protein. Hemp protein. I get it custom made. Yeah, okay. Yeah, hemp okay, protein is a, really good. It has a really good amino acid profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then for the sake of argument, I'll have three pounds of raw cashews. Wait, wait. Three pounds? I eat a lot of food. When I eat fruit, I'll have, I'll have like two watermelons, 10 pounds of grapes. That's just all water, though. I'm like a snake. I eat a huge meal, maybe chill out for a couple of hours doing paperwork, then go to bed. Who the hell are you, man? Like, people don't do what you do. So you go back. I am, <laughs> I am the weirdest dude in the world. People never believe it. We had guys over Thanksgiving one year. You know, we've always been that house where nobody, if nobody's got any place to go, we invite people. Okay, so we had a bunch of guys over for Thanksgiving and they all heard the stories. Yeah. And then when they saw the bowl of cashiers, 
They're all sitting there with their mouths open watching me eat. That is, it takes I, about 45 minutes to eat three pounds of cashews. Yeah, it's, I'm just thinking about like the actual like macro, micro profile. It's a lot of fat, which, but they're not bad. I mean, well, like, one of the things I've noticed that's really helping me now is it's helping me with the joint issues. Oh, with inflammation? Yeah. There's, like, but my doctors say I shouldn't be doing this because of my shoulder and my knee. Yeah. I had one doctor tell me, I, my, my knee pops out. It's got one ligament left. Okay. And when it pops out, I've got video of somebody pulling on it, and you can see it pop right back in. Have you it rolls uh, and pops? Have you messed with BPC one five seven or anything? I've tried it. Okay, yeah, that's that's so amazing. It's whenever I get an injury, like I'll just what is it? BPC one five seven. Um, it's it's a gastric peptide. Um, it's, it's unfortunately like you can get it as like an injection. It's like a one a day, like an insulin needle. Okay. You, you can also get it in capsules. Um, and it, it's really weird. So a lot of countries, um, prescribe it and we can't, our country won't prescribe it because you can't, uh, what is it? You can't synthesize it, um, to be able to patent it. Okay. Um, and so it's because it's a natural peptide that we right. that we make. And so, um, you know, it's all like Joe Rogan's talked about it. He's used it. Um, a lot of guys um, that are well, like, definitely you know, researching. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's just like these little like you barely it's barely any water at all, like this liquid. And it just it fixes um, ligaments and tendons really quick. And then there's also TB 500. So that I've heard of. Yeah. So those two in combination are amazing. Um, so next time you get an injury, which will probably be next week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I always joke around. It's what does it hurt? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. I know we're kind of getting towards the end of our time here. Yeah. I just, I kind of want to figure out how, what makes you different. Um, so getting away from like all the fighting and everything, you know, all the, the, the technique based talk, um, what makes you tick differently than most other people your age? For me, I know I have to go through a lot of people. When I started this whole journey going to rehab, I would I brought my food bag with me. You know, like I'm carrying a Tupperware of rice and chicken and broccoli, and I had to lose a hundred pounds and do all this shit. And people would judge me and laugh at me, and then ask me why. And now they're asking me how I did it. And so now it's it's, but. I know it makes me different and it's, I can't go back to how things used to be. So for people, you, what makes you different? What makes you tick to people only see the tip of the iceberg? Yes. Yes. They see, they, they see, okay, successful at business, but they don't see what went into it. So what does, okay. Yeah. You're successful in competition. Okay. Honestly, you know, I, I know it's a dirty word or they're two dirty words. You ask my wife, I am the most stubborn human being on the face of the planet. Okay. I have an open mind to being changed. Like if you come up with a, a, a well-spoken argument on something, you can change my opinion. Yeah, okay. When I set my mind to doing something. I'm stubborn and I'm compulsive. It's not, once I decide to do something, it's no longer, like you sit on the couch possibly or, or the average guy sits on a couch and he says, Oh, I should go work out. I sit on a couch saying, I have to go work out. Mm -hmm. It's not the same. 
I feel a compulsion to go do it. Like I'm not okay if I don't do it. You almost turned. I, I would be willing to bet if there was a test for addiction, you have it. And you I've just turned to bad use... addictions into good addiction. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be I, a, a thing that a lot I'm of the same. Do. I'm the same way with work. Like you know, in my work, re- being able to research is huge. And I, I find stuff that like people can't believe I find. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I try to tell people. Some somebody said, "How do you do it?" As much as I'd like to say it was a conscious effort, until I know everything. I can't rest. Yeah. All right. Well, I got like one, one of the guys back in Vegas was asking me because I, with PPE, we were doing a lot of international deals, you know, companies yes, in yes. China. So I was on the phone in the middle of the night all the time. Somebody was asking me how I'm working like maybe 18 hours, 19 hours a day of teaching. Okay. And it was basically because I had to. Yeah. When you don't there have deals that had to get done. Yeah. When you don't I couldn't like, it's not like it's not like I sat there saying, ah, I'll I'll find a way to beg that being good bed. Mm-hmm. I can't help it. Yeah. So I got I got one more question that I can get you out of here. Um I, I tend to like to the last question that I have is something that's correlating with my life into the conversation. And I'm kind of curious how you were able to so you're obviously successful in business um and in combat. How do you combine those to the world of fuck your face to uh, stats, analytics, and everything that's complete bullshit and sitting through meetings that go absolutely nowhere and it's just made for people to act like they deserve the money that they're making? How do you not come into those meetings and just tell them to shut up and fuck your face? I'm and- Phil. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. no. You, you got to understand like, I actually talk to people all the time in a business setting, okay? And because, okay. you know, I, I'm in the money business. Yes. Okay, we finance government contracts. The first thing they do is due diligence. So the first question is always, were you a fighter? Which means the next six meetings, it comes up. We talk about me and my life. Okay, so what's happened is I've, I've created, my, my wife laughs at me. Most people that are messed up create a facade that they present to the world. Yeah. Trying to hide being fucked up. Yeah. I wear it on my sleeve. Okay. That's what I was saying about going into a restaurant and ordering six baked potatoes. Yeah. So you just are who you are 24-7. I don't care. Okay, uh, here's a perfect one. There was a lot of fraud going on in the PPE deal with 3M masks. Guy calls me up and says, oh, I've got 100 million 3M masks I need financing for. And I said, well, they they don't exist. I I got 3M on speed dial. Okay, if you're telling me you've got 100 million and 3M is telling me that, no, you don't. Okay, but I trust the guy who has them. And I said, yeah, and I trust the hooker on the corner. Okay, now remember, this is video meeting. Everybody in, in my office, when I was, I was in the office, I stopped in the office in California. And I'm like, yeah, and I trust the hooker on the street corner. And he kind of looks at me and says, huh? Yeah, he said she was a girl. Okay, so it, it's kind of like, you know, just because you trust a guy doesn't mean they're real. Yeah. 
And sometimes I find, you know, I, within five phone calls with me, you're going to realize I'm off. I'm going to screw up. You're human. Uh, you're supposed to. <laughs> no, no. But what I'm saying is I'm going to say something that's inappropriate. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to curse. I'm going to do something. Okay, Phil is going to sneak out, no matter how I try to box him up. Okay, so what I learned to do was I put myself in a position where I'm so good at something, where people had to take me worse than all. All right, I like it. I actually had a yeah. meeting at the biggest propane company in the country. I was in charge of their government contracting division. We had a meeting. There was, a, there was another guy there that I was having issues with, former football player. And we're in the office, and he and I just rubbed each other the wrong way. He's a big, fat guy, out of shape. He played football in college, thinks he's really badass. Couldn't stand it that I, I was a fighter, and people looked up to me. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and the CEO loved me, because when I went down for the job interview, we spent two hours watching left-way videos. We're on the internet because they asked, they asked what this advanced fighting systems at the time was. And I said, I used to be a fighter. So then we're watching. Yeah, they didn't believe they were bare knuckle fights. Yeah. Okay. So we were watching them. But to make a long story short, I, I'm sitting in the office. He's saying something. And I basically looked at him in front of the chairman. I said, go fuck yourself. Okay. And he kind of looks at me and he looks at the chairman. And he says, are you going to allow that? And I cut him off. I said, yeah. Dude, I produce. If I get up on his desk and piss on you, he's not going to fire me. He's going to keep us apart. Okay. But if I'm not producing, he's going to kick, he's going to kick me out. Okay. Even if I'm the nicest guy in the world, if I produce, you're going to have to learn to deal with me, dude. I'm one of those people. I go brass tacks all the time. We're going to have to do this again, man. I like it. It's, it's very rare that I find somebody that's actually, able to communicate the way that i act um, yeah it kind of kind of feels that way because i'm, I'm Listen, the same exact way man most people if you really look at it we're, 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 we all have demons we're all off okay in other words some people spend their whole lives blaming their parents for being fuck-ups for this for that at some point you gotta own it yeah and you gotta say to yourself hey i'm me yeah i was fortunate at an early age I, I got myself into something where professionally I didn't have to hide. Yeah. That's, that's something that I wish more people did. I'm, I'm glad I'm doing it and I don't have to hide behind a mask of, of something else because that whole life is horrible. You just live your entire existence. And that's essentially what it is. It's an existence. It's not a life. Just well, kind of looking at other people and, in you know, wishing they were doing this right now. So, well, to be honest with you, what boiled, what it boiled down to is almost every time I left the place, it was because I burnt people out. Mm. Okay, things started to get untenable, and I would just leave. Yeah, and move on to the next one. Like I used to joke around that you know, unless I ran the place, I had a seven-year career, five to seven years before I drove people nuts. Well, I mean, at least people, you know you're. People don't want to sit in a meeting, okay? And like, okay, let, let's say for the sake of argument, let's say you're in the gas business and your account's Home Depot and something's going wrong with Home Depot and I sell to the government and we're all sitting in this big meeting and they're giving you a hard time, you're trying to deny it. All of a sudden I'll pipe up and say, hey, listen, it's my fault. People will look at you. Yeah, just, just blame me, get this bullshit over with and let's fix it. 
I don't want to spend two hours talking about who caused the problem. What's the problem? Fix it. Yeah. It sounds like every meeting I've had to be a part of. Oh, God. They're, they're, I'm they're, the worst guy to have in a meeting because I always make meetings much shorter than they have to be. No, they, they should. I need you in every meeting I have to go to because I fucking hate those things. And so, right, I'm a, I know you're a busy dude. Um, so I'm going to get you out of here. Um, speaking of you just being who you are, um, I've, I've loved this conversation. I'm probably going to have oh, thanks. I had a good time again. myself. Um, can you kind of tell my listeners where they can find you to get more of you? Uh, actually, I, I just moved to Lexington, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're kind of building a big family compound out here. And I opened a school in Lexington itself. So I'm teaching uh, in Lexington, Virginia. It's uh, LexingtonBJJ.com. Okay. The name of the school is actually the Asylum Fight Team, Mike Rhino BJJ. All right. And uh, I, I'm on the internet. I'm all over the place. Uh, if you look up Phil Dunlap, there'll be magazine articles, TV appearances, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of information out there if somebody wants to get in touch with me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really easy. I'll, uh, I'll just go ahead and link everything. Uh, below the show notes and uh, that way people can get in touch with you and maybe get some people in Lexington to get off their fat ass and go train. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you. That's, that's a big difference. I'm, I'm really loving it out here. The people are really, really, it's the first time I've been in a knob city. Yeah. Okay. And pe- people are much more, they're more real. Mm-hmm. Like guy tells you, he really wants to train. He's there every night. That's rare. That's very rare. Yeah, that's I'm. You know, next time in uh, I'm uh, down in that area, which is once or twice a year, I'm gonna have to hit you up and swing in and reach out. Even if we just get together for coffee or something. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. No, this is gonna have to happen for sure. So, all right, man. No, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, let you get out of here with your busy life. And I had a good time. And listen, have a good day. Yeah, you as well, man. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Bye bye. You too. I gotta say, I gotta say, we got another one. We got another one in the in the bank and in the internet. We got another one online. We got another one published. Now we're out there. We're really cruising along here, guys. I uh, cannot thank you enough for following along, listening to Phil's story, listening to my conversation. It was a lot of fun. I can't wait to actually get down there and train with him. Uh, with all these podcasts, it just seems like I just keep like meeting new people, you know, every week and just keep building these relationships and uh, it's going to be really cool once, you know, I got a lot more of these up, recorded and, uh, you know, I can hit the road and start seeing some of these gyms, meeting some of these people in person and really doing what we're supposed to be doing out there, so anyway, uh, yeah, Phil obviously, great dude Did you? could you tell he's from the East Coast? <laughs> you know, he's just got like that that Boston, Jersey, New York, East Coast type attitude to him, and I love him for it. So I really appreciate Phil coming on for the show. I really appreciate you guys sticking around, checking this out, and uh, supporting the show. And if you want to continue to support the show, there is a link that I'll put down in the description where you can help out. I also started a Patreon, and you can find me on a fighter story at on Instagram. Uh, me personally, I'm going to be at the M at underscore. No, I lied. I can't talk today, guys. I just can't. I'm not stopping this over. So it's going to be at the underscore MMA dietitian. Uh, you know who I am. You know what it's going to be. 
and so other than that i just hope you guys have a good day uh thanks drive safe sleep well whatever you gotta do and enjoy